Praise the Lord. I, I appreciate the children. I hate that happened. I've had a few texts that I've had to preach that I felt like that was going to happen. Um, it was very difficult, but you, pr- you pray for little Catherine. I pray that she's just nerves or things of that nature. She ate too much breakfast. That happens, but, and the cleanup crew, you all are amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's just what God's people do. I appreciate you, and I, I thank you because I was wondering how I was going to move this pulpit over there. <clears throat> so thank you all very, very, very much. I appreciate that. And they are going to come back tonight, and they're going to be sharing, and it's going to be a blessing. Those children do a wonderful job. This morning, we're going to take a brief exit from our Sunday morning study in Romans, and we're going to Luke, Luke 19, Luke 19, and I want to visit that most sacred event that is on our Christian calendar about the triumphal entry of our Lord leading us to the cross, which hopefully Wednesday night I'll be preaching on the cross, and then I'm excited if Jesus tarries next Sunday morning about an empty tomb. We're going to talk about the triumphal entry. I could have chosen any of the Gospels because they all spend much time on this great event. I've often said, if God says it once, you need to listen. If God says it four times, it really deserves our undivided attention. Luke chapter 19, I'd like to read, begin reading in verse number 28. If you found your place, we'd invite you to stand with your copy of the Scriptures open. And we'll honor and reverence the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible, inspired word together. The Bible says in Luke 19, verse 28, And when he had thus spoken, he went before and ascended up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which... At your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as as he had said unto them. And as they were loosening the colt, the owner thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and cast their garments upon the colt. And they set Jesus thereupon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice from all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor to be in this house to enjoy your presence, to share truths from your holy word. God, give us freedom and liberty to preach the word in a way that you're glorified and our lives are changed. Lord, would you help me to decrease and you increase, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, for you're our strength and our redeemer. And we ask it in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, 
Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned earlier, all four gospel accounts record the details, what is known as Jesus' triumphal entry. It also has been labeled as what's already been said, Palm Sunday. This begins the Passion Week of our Lord. The crowds that followed the Lord Jesus and many in Jerusalem joined in this time of celebratory praise by singing messianic hymns and shouting loud hosannas. As a matter of fact, the other gospel writers use those words, Hosanna, Hosanna. They cried out as the Lord came, made his way into Jerusalem. They cried out literally, Lord, save us now. Boy, I'd like to see a resurgence of that. I'd like to see that happen again where people would gather in the presence of the living God and just cry out, Lord, save us now. That's what they did. I, I think it's easy to say as you read all four accounts that Jerusalem in his triumphal entry was a buzz, a buzz. I mean, and we have really a, a blind man to thank for that. If you remember in the Lord's travels right before this event, there was an old blind man named Bartimaeus. Now, I don't know if he's old. I put O-L-E, old man, blind beggar. When the crowds were really oblivious to who he was, he said, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. He recognized him as the son of David, the Messiah, the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. And so Jesus had stirred the city with his dramatic entrance on that particular Sunday. And many who followed him were ready to crown him as their long-awaited Messiah and King. But that would not be so. Because all throughout the Gospel of Luke, you learn that Jesus said over and over again that his kingdom is not of this world. He said his kingdom is within you. And there's where it is. Now, he came, the Bible says, as he taught them, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Matter of fact, if you begin this chapter, you have that great example of the conversion of Zacchaeus where Jesus made the statement, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came as a lamb, as an offering and a sacrifice for the sins of humanity. But he is coming again. And when he does, he comes as the lion to destroy sin and set up his earthly and eternal kingdom. Many wanted to crown him that day, but never lose sight of the fact that majority wanted to kill him. Matter of fact, this event known as the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday was really what signed the Lord Jesus's death warrant in the life of those religious elite and the onlookers. Why? Because in that it was a public declaration of his kingship. But that's why he came. To die. I told you this was his death warrant. It really was. But nonetheless, that's why he came. He wasn't shocked with their animosity. He wasn't shocked with the rejection and the hatred towards him. That's why he came. In less than a week, he would be dead. And in one week, he would rise again from the dead to bring salvation to all who would trust in him. And so as we think towards the passion, as we have our mind geared toward the cross, let's see what we can learn through this triumphal entry. I say first and foremost, as I read in all of these gospel accounts, and I'm going to try to put some of those together as I preach this morning, but you cannot read this event and not think of the providence 
of a holy God. I think of the providence of God. I'm interested in God's providence because that's why I'm here. That's how I'm taken care of. That's how God's will is taken care of. The providential hand of God. Let me say this and I'll say it again. As you read this, you can be reminded that surely God does go before us and prepares the way. And we look at this providential hand of God. It reminds us as we look at this sovereign plan that he laid out for his disciples. Let me read these first few verses to you again. The Bible says in verse number 30, he comes to the Mount of Olives in verse 30. He says, go into a village over against you, into which you're entering. You shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him, bring him thither. And if any man ask you why, why do you loose him? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as it is said unto them, and as they were loosing the colt, the owner thereof said, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus and cast their garments upon the colt that they set Jesus thereupon. Now, you may look at that. You can read some of those things and think not much about that. But I see the providence of God all over that. I mean, he had a plan. He always does. His plan is supernatural. I think it's amazing that our Lord's plans is not affected by time nor by distance. He come down to the Mount of Olives, but he sent them away, these two unnamed disciples. And it was just like he said, exactly where and when to place these disciples in order to meet his will. I mean, the Lord knew all about the cult. He knew what it was, where it was, what age it was that had never been saddle broken, where never a man had sat, the Bible says, and it was tied up where it was tied up because it had to be kept under restraints. I don't know about you, but I read that and I just don't think of ordinary details. I think, wow, our God knows it all. He knew every particular detail about this. The Lord goes before us, as I've said, and we'll say again, he does that in order to prepare the way for us to serve him according not to our will, but according to his perfect will. I need this this morning. Maybe you're okay, but I need this this morning because in the service of God, sometimes my brain has an intersecting thought about Jamie's will instead of Jesus's will. But trusting in the providence of God, he does go before us every time he prepares the way in order us for do, it's to do it his way and not ours. Now, think of these details as I give them to you. On a side note, I'd be very concerned if I was one of these disciples, unnamed, two of them, going to saddle for the very first time an unbroken animal that had to be tied up and restrained. I'd be concerned about doing that in a Private barn lot with no one looking. But yet to saddle him and to bring him back for Jesus to set upon him, to be led down a busy street with shouting multitudes crying out, Hosanna. Are you all here this morning? I'm nervous every time I get on one of those horses at Gatlinburg that are trained and blindfolded to get back to the barn. Can you imagine one that's never been broken, no one's ever set upon it, had to be tied up, and yet that was their responsibility. If you live long enough, 
Have you served the Lord long enough to understand that you cannot understand what he's asking you to do? Sometimes it just goes against human logic. Is that if I do this, this will happen. God says, trust me. Have you ever noticed that in the will of God? You have to walk by faith and not by sight. God says, trust me, I've gone before. I've taken care of everything. I just need your obedience. That's where they were. I rest now in the sovereign plan of God. His plan was not only supernatural, and it is, because whatever you do in the economy of God, you can't write it down and explain it. It'll leave you scratching your head and say, boy, God did have a plan. But the second thing is it's spiritual. There's a picture in all that God wants us to do. It's spiritual because there's a threefold message of salvation in this little assignment. Talking about the cult. First of all, the cult had to be redeemed. See, the laws of Moses stated that every firstling of a donkey, thou shalt redeem with a lamb. Thou shalt not redeem it, and thou shalt break his neck. Exodus 13, 13. Second of all, the cult had to be released because it was tied to a post. It had life, but it had no liberty. It was loose when? When the Lord had need of him. And finally, it had to be ruled. By the way, it wasn't released to kick up his heels to run wild and free in a faraway field. Somebody says that'll preach. It was free to be brought under the lordship and the leadership of Christ. It surrendered his will to the will of Jesus. It went where Jesus wanted to go, and it did what Jesus wanted to do, and that cult's supreme task was to lift up Jesus and to carry Jesus where the folks could see and know that he is God. That was his desire. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our salvation? Who thought God could use such a little cult with such great great purpose. That's why I trust in the providence of God in my life because I'm here to tell you I've read the Bible. If God can use a rooster and God can use a donkey, I think he can use somebody like you and me. Somebody got excited for the first time in church. Amen. It's a beautiful picture there and that's what God wants to use you for. God wants your life, your witness, your testimony to speak and to shine of the glory of God for salvation of others. The Bible teaches this plan is also significant. I mean, every last detail, as I've tried to give many of those to you, they were flawless. The timing, the place, the people, the cult, but it had to be. It had to be that way if you understand the character and the nature of God. It had to be that way because it's already been promised. He was fulfilling his messianic role promised by God and prophesied by the scriptures of old. It had to be that way. Have you not come to the place in your life where you know you can trust and rest in the good word of God? It fails not. In other words, if God says it, rest in it. Settle it. If he says he's coming in on a lowly donkey and declaring himself the king, the Messiah of the world, hundreds of years before the incarnation, trust me, he was coming into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey, declaring himself to be the Messiah, the Savior, the king of the world. So I, I've learned, I've, I've lived long enough. I may not understand it all. I may not understand all the details. But if God says it, that settles it. I rest today in a confused and a world full of turmoil. But I still serve a sovereign God who has a perfect plan. His plan is fulfilled. 
See, to the Romans, by the way, to the believers, this gives us hope and excitement because it was fulfilled just as the prophet said. But to the Romans, this was the very last straw because what Jesus did was just not some ordinary event. What Jesus did on that day was known as a glorious welcome. It was known in Roman times and culture as the Roman triumph. Matter of fact, the only one that could ever be permitted to do such was victorious war generals coming back home after a great triumph. They were given a welcome like no other. So this disqualified in their minds of a man named Jesus ever trying to do such. But us who know who he is and what he was doing and what he would do in a week's time understands how fitting this really is. Because far greater than defeating an enemy of Rome in less than a week, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would go to battle on the cross of Calvary. He would defeat the greatest enemies of all time, death, hell, and the grave. And in a week's time, he would raise up as the ultimate warrior and the greatest victor of all times. For he wins because he's alive. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. And by the way, that's a far greater enemy for all of humanity than Rome or any other oppressive nation or any ideology or any philosophy, any ruling dictator. That's not your enemy. The greatest enemy of all kinds is death, hell, and the grave caused by sin. Remember, the Bible says all have sinned and come short the glory of God. Remember, the wages of our sin is death and hell. Boy, Jesus, I'm glad he had a plan. The ultimate victor. The Bible teaches us in the providence of God, he not only had a sovereign plan, but he's got some serving people. Who are we that God would use us in his wonderful plan of saving and redeeming lost humanity? I'm still blown away by that. Anybody ever get excited about being used of God? I mean, in, in, the, in the mundane ways or the slightest of ways that God would even use someone like you and I to lift up and magnify him. That's what he does according to this text. And we've read that in these first few verses. We see these serving people. And I see it in their obedience prepared his coming into Jerusalem. I don't know who they are. It's not mentioned. There are a couple of unnamed disciples that would have cut out a lot of Baptists right there. Unless you name them, call their name from the pulpit, put them on the marquee or get their name in the bulletin, they're not serving. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. But the Bible says they were unnamed. There's two of them. We don't know who they are. We could guess, but we don't know. They seemed to be called for a very mundane task. Go into the city, get me that cult, bring him here. But in the providence of God, he chose them more than just getting a cult. He chose them to prepare his prophetic entrance into Jerusalem as king. That makes it look a little different. I mean, thank God for those who serve Christ in the mundane. Those who serve him in obedience, even in the simple things, never being named, never being mentioned down here. But I promise you, eternity will reveal the greater significance of our obedience in the plan of God. You may serve God and never get recognized down here. And I apologize for that. 
because I like to recognize service unto the Lord. We miss a lot of things. Why? Because there's a lot of people that don't want any attention. There's a lot of people that don't want any recognition. I've had people come into my office many times and want to do something for this church and said, Pastor, if you ever tell, I'll never do anything else again. As my kids would say, zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. Why? They're not about that. There's others who are all about that. Jesus had something to say about all of that. <laughs> Don't have time for that. But at the end of the day, I can promise you something. You may be unnamed down here. Not maybe mentioned in any recognizable way. But if God chose you and God allowed you to do something in the economy of God's grace, something in the work of the Lord, something to make a difference in lifting up and magnifying the name of Jesus, I promise you in eternity, the Bible says, even a cup of cold water in my name shall be rewarded openly in that day. Here's what I've lived long enough to learn. I'd much have recognition and reward from the Lord than of man because man's applause and recognition is short-lived, but God's will never fade in time or in eternity. And so I don't know why I'm worried about this because these two disciples didn't seem to be worried about it. I guess I've just pastored a Baptist church long enough to be worried about it. They were obedient to prepare the coming of the Lord and they were optimistic in preparing for his coming. I mean, they didn't even question the plan. I mean, can you see some of us, I'm being honest, can you see some of us when we were giving these instructions by the Lord, I want you to go in such and such town and you find this donkey. It's a colt, just a young one. It's tied up. Never a man sat there, it's not broke, just take it. Bring it here, and if somebody says something to you, tell them I've got need of it. I can think, oh yeah, I can see how this is going to work out. Anybody else? I mean, that's just the first kick of my brain. These guys were optimistic. We don't have any of this arguing in the text. We don't have any of this. They didn't question the plan of God. They were simply confident in the plan of God. Why? Because they had walked with him long enough. See, that's our problem. We're skeptical. We question the things of God. is because we've not walked with Him long enough. Or we've not walked with Him as close as we should walk with Him. To see what all God has done. They were confident in His plan. They knew that He had went before them and made all of these preparations. Why? Because He promises us He always does. He will never lead you where His grace does not sustain you. They were confident in his power to lead this unbroken cult. They knew it wouldn't be him. Them, it would be him. They could lead the cult back to the Lord Jesus. And they were confident in his provisions for the animal to be there and for the man to lend it to the Lord's service. I really personally believe that when they got there, and just as Jesus said, the owner said, what are you, what are you doing? Well, the Lord has need of your cult. I think just one mention of the Lord Jesus' name. It's me. I, I don't have scripture to prove this, but I've got the nature and the character of God to prove it. I think just one mention of the Lord's name and that unbroken animal was broken. I, I believe it was not only in the owner's heart to lend out every head to the Lord's service, but also that animal that animal was broke and able to be led. Just remember, as I said earlier, 
God leads. Wherever he leads, he provides. And his servants can understand that and rest in that and be optimistic and obedient to him no matter what he asks us to do. He had a sure path, one of extreme devotion because nothing would ever deter Christ. I mean, you cannot stop His will. No matter how much the Roman government wanted to stop Him, no matter how much the elite of Israel's day, the religious elite wanted to stop Him, you cannot stop the will of God. Why do you kick against God's plan? Why do you try to stop the work of God? You cannot stop God's plan. I would tell you, as Henry T. Blackaby says, get involved. Don't kick against, get involved. Jesus was devoted to the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father? A cross. He didn't come for a crown. He came for a cross. He's coming again for a crown. But he came for a cross. And nothing would ever change that. That was his sole purpose in coming. Again, let me state it again. For he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that would take a cross. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Where he who knew no sin would become sin for us. He would die in our stead in order to bring us forgiveness and eternal life. And So I want to go on record this morning and bear a testimony and a witness that I praise God for his undying devotion for a sinner like me. As the old song said, why did he go to Calvary? Why did he go through all these things? Why? There's but one answer, because he loves me. He did all of this because he loved me. And his disciples, not questioning, just obeying the sovereign plan of God, made a path straight for Jesus to present himself as the Messiah. And then second of all, and it's all that I've got this morning, His triumphal entry not only reminds me of his providential care, but his triumphal entry reminds me and you that he is to be praised. You know, I I was kind of hoping the kids would come up with their palm branches this morning. I like seeing them. They may do that tonight, so you need to be here. Palm branches. I, I get the picture in my mind of the people waving palm branches and singing and praising the Lord. I'm reminded as I read this text now, again, Luke's not as detailed as the other gospel writers, but he mentions it. He says in verse 36, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. When they come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, he's coming down. The whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Wow. So I think you ought to be praised. I say that in a Baptist church and I got one little mumbled amen. I'm going to invite in the Pentecostal crowd if y'all don't get with it. He's to be praised. I'm still in the scriptures. How did they praise him? Help us, preacher. I'm going to. They praised him humbly with great respect. Earlier, the Bible says in verse 35, they brought him to Jesus, talking about the colt, and they cast their garments upon the colt that they set Jesus upon. Humbly, they took off their own coats. They made a saddle for the Lord Jesus. They also, the multitude of disciples, took off their coats. 
and they cast them down in front of Jesus. They cut branches to wave, to carpet the way of the Lord. The disciples took their garments, they made the saddle, they carpet the way. Why? They did what they could with what they had. I would tell you it's a privilege to be included in the praise of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. You say, well, that's kind of a simple thing they did. It may be. I'm not here to criticize it. Why did they throw their coats down? That's what they had. My only question is, what have you done? What have you done even this morning? What have you done to praise him? I think it's a legitimate question. Didn't he come to your bedside this morning and wake you up to a new day of life? Is he not in control of the beats of your heart? Is he not in control of the air that inhales and exhales from your lungs? Is he not the very reason that we have life? Didn't Acts 17 said, in you we live, we move, we have our being. I think on just that premise that God's mighty good to us. Who am I that God would walk to my bedside this morning and say, get up. It's the Lord's day. What have you done? What have you done to praise Him this morning? What have you offered unto your Savior? An offering nothing prideful or arrogant, but just humble praise unto the Lord. You said, well, they just throwed down coats and waved palm branches. What's wrong with that? It made the book. It didn't bother God. It pleased him so much, he told all of his gospel writers, write it down. Write it down. You said, well, it's just coats and palm branches. Again, what have we done? What have we done in comparison? They did it with great respect. They also did it as a guest of royalty. Their praise is what we would call in our day the red carpet treatment. That practice is associated with the coming of royalty. Oh, Rome got mad over this. The religious elite were beside themselves over this. But I rejoice over it. Why? Because I can thank Bartimaeus. He's the one that called out in the crowd that he is the rightful king. Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. He is my king. See, this world can roll out red carpets for those celebrities who make me sick. Everybody just wants to reach out and touch them. I'd be scared to touch them. I'd be afraid of what I'd get. Y'all not going to talk to me or let me preach, are you? Paparazzi will blind you. Just trying to get that million dollar photo of people who cannot even carry a good conversation without profanity. And that's the world's heroes. Jesus makes our world angry. But I want my praise to roll out the red carpet for him. That's why I've said, don't, don't, don't get mad at me. Don't look at me like that. I just want to tell you. I've said it. I sound like a broken record on purpose for 14 years. It's not about you. It's not about our choir. It's not about me. When people come in here, I, the last thing I want them to do is see the choir. The last thing I want them to do is see me. The last thing I want them to do is walk out and say, what a beautiful building, what a great crowd of people. It has nothing, nothing to do with anything. But my desire is when people walk into this house, they know the red carpet has been laid out for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.
If they never see me, it's fine. But if they see Jesus, job well done. They rolled out the red carpet for the Lord Jesus. This multitude of disciples. Why? Because he was, as he declared, their king, their Messiah, the son of David, the rightful heir. And they praised him heartily. So I'm going to crank it up just a notch or two so you get her crank it up. The Bible says they cried out. I'm still in the text. With a loud voice, they cried out because of the mighty works that he had done. They cried out meaningful shouts. They began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the works, mighty works, by the way, they had seen him do. Stop. What has he held back from us? My wife's doing that cardboard testimony thing we're doing twice. She's been torn all to pieces about offending somebody. I can just ask for so many because there's just so much time during that song. I like it. I'd like to see us have to do it once a week. Could we not? Who here has not had a miraculous touch of God in their life? Who here has not seen and failed and demonstrated the power of God in their life? Who here has not seen the mighty works of God that leaves you just scratching your head? Oh. Why'd you say that? Because you did pretty good right there, but most of the time we just remain silent. Don't we? I'm convinced David's helping me on Wednesday night, the sweet singer of Israel. He's helping me with my prayer life and my praise. I'm convinced that when God does something wonderful and great and declares who He is in our presence and we sit still, that can't be right. When we say silent, that's not right. It's, it's really unacceptable. See, when He comes, when He fills the house with His presence... According to the word of God, there should be loud rejoicing and praising of our God for what we have seen him do. Oh, I want him to know I'm grateful. Why? Because if I live any longer, I'm going to need him again. I want him to know I was thankful and I'm grateful. Do you like to do work for people who are ungrateful? Do you like to do things for people who never even say thank you? No card, no care, no expression? No, I'm not comparing God with us. I just don't want that ever cross the mind of God. That I'm ungrateful and unthankful for anything he's done in my life. So I want to praise him. How did they praise him? Not only with meaningful shouts, but messianic Psalms, the greatest praise and the greatest rejoicing should be shattered and saturated with the scriptures. Hey, you want anointed praise? You want anointed songs? Use anointed words. They use Psalm 118 verse 25 that says, Blessing upon Christ the King and peace in heaven. Other texts they use the Psalms where they said, Hosanna. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm not very smart. I'm not very crafty. That's why I think the greatest growth, personally, I'm just speaking me, 
The greatest growth that I've experienced in my life in prayer and praise has come when I have learned to incorporate the Word of God in my prayer life and in my praise life. I'm not here to reinvent the wheel. I want to use what works. God honored it. God's preserved it. God's blessed it. He's put it in your lap. Use it. Praise Him. What can you add to what God's already approved? And so if I need to stand up and say, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, I ought to do that. If I ought to praise Him for being the King, the Messiah, the Savior, we need to do that. We need to do that like they did. Luke opened up his gospel, by the way, with the angels announcing peace. Peace. It's a little different. He says in the beginning, peace on earth. And now in verse number 40, he says that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Verse 38, he reminds us that he asked for peace in heaven. Now, that's a change. With the announcement of the coming of the Lord, I want you to get this, in the incarnation as a babe in a manger, he declared peace on earth. Why? Because he's there. He's the hope of all nations. He had come. Why? To give himself a ransom there on the cross of Calvary to save us and to provide peace to the world. But they rejected him. And now there's peace in heaven. Because of their rejection, there'd be no peace on earth. Nothing but war, conflict, and turmoil. Why? Because there's a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel, or kingdom of evil. So what do we do with all that? Glad you asked. He went to the cross. In spite of all of that, he went to the cross. In spite of all of his enemies and hatred and animosity, he went to the cross. Why? That's why he came. There's not going to be any peace on the earth because we've rejected the Prince of Peace. But I got good news. He paid a debt he didn't know because you and I owed a debt we couldn't pay. And there on the cross of Calvary, he satisfied the righteous demands of the Father for the penalty of your sins and my sins, and because of His wonderful work, the mighty work of God on the cross of Calvary, now we can have peace with God. The appeal today is for you and I to be reconciled unto God. So that's a reason to shout praise the Lord. If you have no peace in this world, I get it because this world has rejected God. But you personally have peace with God because you've embraced His Son as the sacrifice and the substitute of your salvation. You can lay your head down at night knowing that you and God are all right. And you ought to shout. You ought to rejoice. You ought to praise the Lord because you've been reconciled unto Him. And then I want to conclude with this wonderful statement that the devil always, always has those in the crowds of multitudes that try to silence your praise and your rejoicing in God. There'll be some mean-spirited people look all the way across and you'll feel that tractor beam. What's wrong with them? Somebody will come up to you and say something just when you're happy in the Lord. My preacher used to call them cold water committees. That might be true. Try to put out your fire. That may be true. The devil always has those 
right? When you're getting in happy about seeing the mighty works of God. They want to thwart the will of God. The Bible says it's what it was here in this text that most were singing and rejoicing. Can you imagine that celebratory day? But some of those Pharisees told Jesus, Lord, you need to rebuke your disciples. There's always one, isn't there? Will you tell them to pipe down, tone it down? They demanded Jesus to silence his people. But can I tell you, they could not. They could not be silent. Why? Because they were fulfilling age-old prophecy. It was promised by God. Jerusalem had to know that Jesus was their King, their Messiah, and He had come to save His people from their sin. Jesus told them, those who are upset about the shout and the praise and the singing, He said, if they were silenced, these stones would immediately cry out. Isn't that something? You believe that? Oh, I do. God's work, God's word would be fulfilled one way or another. Why did he say stones would cry out? Because again, nothing can thwart the work of God. With or without people. With you or without you. God's will will be done. Nothing has changed. In our world today, in our churches today, nothing's changed. Some sing, some shout of the work of God in their lives. They're saved, they've seen it, they've experienced it, and they're excited to praise the name of our God while others sneer at the work of God because they've rejected Christ and they want the other Christians just to be quiet. You make me uncomfortable. I can't talk for you. I can't speak of you. I I can't speak of you. But I've come this way to declare to you, I cannot. I cannot. And I will not be silent. When I think of all that God has done for me in Christ Jesus, and I don't understand all of it, but what I understand makes me happy. When I understand of all that what God has done to me in Christ Jesus and the greatest part is that yet he knew me and still allows me, allows me to serve him and to present him to others. I must sing that when God would allow me to answer a phone call of someone that says I'm lost and I need to be saved. Can you help me preacher? When God allows me to crawl up to somebody by an altar that said, I'm lost and on my way to hell, can you help me? And God allows me to take his scripture and show them the truth of God's word and lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. I cannot and I will not remain silent. I cannot. When God will allow me to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim the truths of the word of God that I'm not worthy to crack open. And on the way out, somebody said, you've helped me today, preacher. Man, I've been struggling and I've got a word now. I cannot and I will not remain silent. I must sing of the mighty and wondrous works of my God. I wonder about you. Are you saved? Are you saved? I've done this for three weeks because a woman has burdened my heart. She said, you're the only pastor that's ever asked me, am I saved? So I'm asking, are you saved? And the crowd goes deathly silent. Well, I've got my work to do. I got to preach. Are you saved? 
Well, praise Him. What greater work is there than the Prince of Glory that would take your place on an old rugged cross, bring you out of the deadness of sin and give you life everlasting, make you an heir and a joint heir with Jesus? Well, praise Him. That's what the Bible says. If you need some help in doing so, I got that. I understand. I think you just need to crawl up to an altar of God and say, help me. Because I don't want any rocks to take my place. God, help me praise you. And if you're lost, hear me when I tell you, don't, don't sneer at Christ. Don't try to silence the word of God and the praise of God's people. I'd encourage you, just give your life to Jesus. Repent of your sins and place your faith in what he's done for you on the cross of Calvary. I got good news, he'll, he'll save you. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll adopt you into the royal family of God. He'll give you a heart of praise. I'd encourage you to come to him before it's too late. You said it's too late. Oh yeah, there's a time limit. What is that preacher? I, I don't know. I just do know what the Bible says. The Bible says that my spirit, God's spirit shall not always strive with man. I know that God's got deadlines. Can I say it this way? And I think it's the best way it's ever been said. No one deserves to hear the gospel twice till everybody's heard it once. And you've heard it how many times? I'd tell you this way. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. That, that's a good word. Why? Because if my old Protestant professor used to say, that's all we have is today. Yesterday's in the tomb of time. Tomorrow's in the womb of time. All you've got is today. So true. So true. Isaiah said, call on him while he's near. Seek him while he still yet may be found. Today. Would you come? It'd be my greatest honor. It'd be my greatest honor. Take the word of God and show you how to be saved. I promise you, I'll praise the Lord. I'll sing of it. I'll give God the glory. And if you get saved, you'll join me. Let's praise him this morning. Father, thank you so much for the privilege and the honor just to share the truths of your word. Father, I rejoice that Jesus rode back into a hostile place with a message of peace and hope. Lord, in less than a week, he would take my place on a cross. He would pay for my sins. He would suffer, bleed, and die like no ever has. Lord, it saddens me. It breaks me. But I look to Sunday from the events of cold Calvary to that glorious Easter morning. I'm glad, Lord, you defeated what I couldn't. You took from me what I couldn't. Lord, you made a way and you offer eternal life full and free. And to that, Lord, I cannot be quiet. I must sing. I must shout. Lord, would you do the same for others? And we'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.